Welcome to All for Business Podcast, hosted by the Lynchburg Regional Business Alliance. Our goal with this show is to gather leaders from across the Lynchburg region in one place to talk about business, leadership, how our guests have found themselves here today, and much, much more. So pop in your headphones, turn the volume up, and get ready. This is All for Business. to another edition of Around the Table with Leadership Lynchburg. What is Around the Table? Around the Table is our podcast and video series having real conversations about real leadership issues facing today's leaders and emerging leaders in our community. We believe that creating opportunities for healthy conversations builds awareness, trust, and ultimately relationship. And relationships can create productive action. Relationships enable you to go there on difficult topics, trusting that the benefit is greater awareness and mutual understanding. Relationships create community. So, in this edition of Around the Table, I've been trying to get this group of people together for a while. Y'all are some busy people. (laughs) Busy people. Um, But um, you guys, um, well, first of all, let's just start with Destin, I've had you here before. You're a graduate of Leadership Lynchburg. You are currently a pastor in Lynchburg. Um, you went through Leadership Lynchburg with Nathan Roberts. 44. Babe. Class of 44. <laughs> um, and we've had some really cool conversations around uncomfortable topics. We built that trust. We built that, that kind of rapport and relationship. Um, insert Johnny, Nathan's wife. <laughs> who I met um, through Nathan, obviously, but you guys have a a unique story, a unique experience, and I thought this would be a great opportunity to have you guys on stage together. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, families. We're going to talk about biracial issues within families. We're going to talk about absent fathers in families. And then we're going to get into some leadership things, like how does that show up later in life? And your background is counseling, psychology, um, and you are getting your, I don't know what degree now, like your fifth <laughs> in counseling. So you have that perspective. And you being a pastor and also growing up um, on the side of things, on the rough side of tracks. I got the experimental. Yes, yes. Love it. Street cred. The street yes. cred. <laughs> so we want to talk about how does that show up in the workplace and how do we equip leaders in the workplace so when those things show up? Because that's what's happening today, yeah. real life today. So, um, let's go there. Um, uh, Nathan and Shawnee, you guys are a biracial family. Can you talk a little bit about your family structure? You fostered a bunch of kids. I don't have lost count. I don't have any. Okay. Talk a little bit about your family and um, what have been some of the challenges you faced with race, diversity, and inclusion? Uh, okay. Sure. I'll go ahead and start. Um, so, growing up, um, actually in my family, um, there was kind of this joke that uh, I was this little black baby born into this uh, little white church. And so um, really from my birth, uh, my parents exposed me to um, different races and different cultures. And even though I went to a black church, I went to a, um, a white Christian school growing up. And so um, just always had kind of, you know, just those, those different experiences. Um, and But it was kind of funny because uh, when Nathan and I started dating and a little bit after we got married um, and just, yeah, soon after we got married, um, it was my dad who said, okay, no wonder why Shawnee married uh, a white man. Like, 
we always thought she was going to marry that tall, dark, and handsome man, but we, she married someone who was not, he's handsome, but not tall and dark. And so, mm-hmm. uh, but then they thought, well, no wonder. We, she was born into a little white church. She went to a white Christian school. She went to Liberty after that only a white school. So, of course, her mind is going to be open to that. And her chances of her marrying someone who um, is of a different race would be that way um, as well. And I think um, when Nathan and I got married, there was some things that we experienced um, with our family and others around us that was like, um, it was a reality check for us. And um, and even I think uh, maybe Nathan's dad asked, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the questions about your relationship together? Are you ready for how your uh, biracial children will be um, treated because they are biracial? Um, and so we thought about that. Like we weren't ever fearful of that before, but it was something we thought about. And then we were like, no, like we believe that we were supposed to be together yeah. and we're going to change this world and, you know, change the stereotypes and, and things like that. So we entered marriage into, um, this kind of like ride or die. Like we are, we're doing this together, no matter, you know, what, what we may face and, um, our marriage is going to be like that, and we want our family to be like that as well. Little did we know um, that it was actually going to turn out to be in a big way. Yes, yeah, <laughs> big part of our big part of our, our journey. And, and our story. Yeah. 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 So you guys um, um, have, have fostered how many children? We have fostered fifty-five kids um, over the last uh, thirteen years, and you have um, also children yes. adopted and. Yes. In vitro. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk about that too. Okay. So um, we have a total of six kids. And um, our first child we got um, when he was eight weeks old uh, through foster care. Okay. We wanted to foster. And so um, he was brought into our home. Um, all kids who were brought into foster care for abuse or neglect. And he was neglected. And, um, and so the way that the case turned around um, uh, his biological parents were an option for him to live, and it wasn't a safe place for him to, to live. And so, since we had fostered him, we had the first option Absolutely. to adopt him. So we adopted him, um, which was a total surprise because we got into fostering just to foster. Like we were gonna foster, give him a, a loving, safe home, and then give him back. But and he's black. He is. Yes. yes. And he's, he's how old now? He's, he's thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. He's so tall now. Yes. Look at pictures of him now. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so that happens. Yes. And then, um, and then um, we uh, struggled with infertility for a number of years, and then we miraculously had a little girl, and she's seven now. Um, and then we dealt with something called secondary infertility, where after you have one, you can't have another. Um, and so uh, we sought help with that, and then we ended up doing something called embryo adoption, mm-hmm. uh, where we adopted uh, two embryos and had them implanted and um, gave birth to two little white uh, twin boys, and so never um, did I imagine that I would give birth to a blonde hair, blue eyed little boy, uh, or a brown hair, brown eyed little white boy. So, um, so so thankful for modern technology yes. and um, just the, that miracle of science that we were able to do that, and really act of God that He allowed that yeah. to happen. So. Um, and then we did it one more time. We, we said, let's, let's give it another try. And his life wasn't full enough. Yeah, no, no we knew, actually. <laughs> we knew we would look at a picture of our family and we're like, somebody's missing. And so we did it again and we were blessed again to um, give birth to two little boys again. Um, and they are of Indian descent. And so neither of our um, 
those sets of twins who we have um, adopted are biologically ours at all. So they have nothing. You no carry them. them. You yes. carry them. Yes. Yeah, and they're and they're just precious. Yeah, yeah. Things. yeah. 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 they're they're how old now? They're they are sure. almost a year. Yeah. Okay, so lots there. Yeah. If, if you're if you're trying to keep up, lots of culture, lots of culture, which yeah. I love. Yeah, I just love, love, love. So Nathan, um, talk about some of the challenges um, that you face. Like you're like, okay, you're you're dad, you're ready for this. And you're like, yeah, we're all in. So what what's the reality? What's happened? What are some of the things that have happened? Yeah, some of the reality too is just the um, being. Silence. My mom being silenced for three to six months with communicating with me because my dad was not for me marrying an African American woman. Um, he didn't understand why. He actually told me to. I, he actually said, "I'd rather you marry a divorced woman with three children rather than marry a black woman." And um, in that moment, I knew that he did not know the heart of Shawnee. And so ever since then, I've been all about, you need to get to know the heart of a person before yeah. you judge the outside. And so it's just my prayer. Like, I'm not breaking up with her because you don't like the color of her skin. That was the only issue that he had. And uh, anyway, at my wedding, he was my best man, and he couldn't have loved her anymore. But I knew that God would change the heart of the king because I was so led to continue in the relationship with yeah. her. What, let me stop. Yeah. How, how did you reconcile that? I mean, like, how did you forget uh, well, it was hard, and in fact, I mean, I tried to break up with them. I was like, well, we can, I don't want this to divide your family and take, you know, I don't want our relationship to be divisive, so, like, go ahead and be with them, and we can, like, go our separate ways. And he said, no, we're going to fight for this. And I'm like, okay, well, if he's willing to fight for it, and we're willing to, you know, pray about it together and pray for him and his heart and his family then we'll see what happens. And because they came around and because they got to know me and loved me for me, then I was able to show them. And I wasn't gonna let my heart be hard because of their you know, preconceived notions. I mean, they didn't really know any black people. And what they yeah. knew was what they saw on television. Yeah. But I was very different is, from that. Which is completely different than yes. from, from, from those Well, it's the judgment. Yes. It's, it's the one-sided yeah. narrative. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, which is a whole other. That's a whole other show. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other podcast. It's a but series. It's a series. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there was that, and you got over that hurdle, and you all got married. What about with the kids? What have you had to help the kids kind of navigate? So the main thing now is that what we recognize is that people are like, "Oh, are all those kids yours?" Or she could be like the babysitter. She's just with the white children. Uh -huh. Or I could be the like man. the yeah. Or I could be like the. Um, gift giver by adopting these children of different races, you know, like my arms are wide open to embracing this or whatever. It's very, very stereotypical that it's like, oh, you know, there's no way that all these kids are theirs or whatever. And throughout the years, we've had Hispanic and all, all different races through foster care, you know. So, and then now we have an individual with a disability living in our home. So it's just even more of adding to the mix of diversity because quite frankly, diversity goes beyond race. While we're emphasizing Absolutely. race here, diversity is so far spread of what are included. But it's all back to getting to know the heart of somebody and also um, getting into the heart of somebody and seeking to understand what they are as a person rather than what they look like on the outside. Yeah. So deep, so deep. Yeah, and how do you do that quickly? I mean, quickly is probably not the right term. But, no. But, you know, let's say you're in an environment where someone makes an assumption. Yeah. 
you know, you, you don't want to be offended because mm-hmm. you could ask that. Like, I can remember the first time we did a did a, a Zoom interview after on the George Floyd case, mm-hmm. and my dear black friends um, that were on that Zoom said um, they're tired of having to answer the question. And I was like, that's such a powerful answer. And they're like, but what they had to realize was for the person asking the question, yeah. it's the first time they've ever asked it. Yeah. The person answered it, answered it 800 bazillion times. Sure. And I was like, what a great, um, like that opened my eyes to, you know, I may be asking a question out of curiosity and wanting to understand, but man, if someone on the other side of that has answered that question 500 times and isn't in a frame where they really want to answer that today. Sure. <laughs> yeah. We came back from a trip from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And it was on the way back that I was really frustrated. And I had to reach out to a couple who had adopted, just adopted two boys from Africa. And I was like, I'm so frustrated by the ignorance of people that it, it, I'm sick of telling my story. And they had to, they actually gave me this shift that, yeah, you might be tired of telling your story, but it's an opportunity to tell your story and to educate somebody to open their eyes to a different world. So this idea or this thought of I'm tired of sharing my story that can be no longer. If we want to be a model of change, then we have to continue to tell our story and speak and, and educate people so that they're not ignorant anymore. So good. Yeah. So good. Yeah, you're right. Like, and that's why I sit on a lot of these panels, you know, because it's uh, like I, we were getting tired of sharing the story because people kept calling us around the George Floyd asking us questions. Can I talk to you and Sean at the same time? And we'd be constantly, but it was an opportunity to educate. And, to keep, and that's why I said on this panel. Yeah, it's a mantle of leadership. Absolutely. That you all are stewarding. Absolutely. Because you have have a calling. And yeah. You've chosen a life yeah. that you have an opportunity to, yes. to to spread that awareness. So that's yes. a great way to reframe yeah. Yeah. that. Yeah. I have my own story that I get tired. Well, I had that same mindset. I was like, I'm tired of talking about like, how did you get out? Like, it's that favorite car. How did you get out of that? Because I guess people right. don't expect me to or why don't you have four baby mamas? Or why don't you do, oh, you're married? I'm shocked. Like, you're not on food stamps because we have four kids. You're not on food stamps. Like, explain why we're not. Like, so like, I have stories of my own life. That's why I laughed at you. I was saying, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, so, oh. so let's try. That's a great segue. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. So I'm going to ask you the question. Why Why do you have four kids? You're not on food stamps. That's an ignorant question that people ask mm, yeah. because of the narrative that's shown. Towards young African Americans that grew up in the neighborhood that I grew up in, that was exposed to what I was exposed to, is all my assumption that I will have, you know, two, three, four, five children, the, the baby yeah. mamas, and not be married and be on food stamps and, and live. So, what do you say to that when someone says that to you? Uh, at first, it used to frustrate me because I remember what, a few times I went to Walmart um, on the first of the month. Um, um, and we had a lot of groceries. <laughs> so my wife knows me now. But if this is a fr- if, if, if this is a fr- yeah, I, I am not going. But um, he, so she said, so so like this is food stamps, and I oh, I, I almost lost it. Like my wife had to come up because she knows I don't, I don't tolerate that. Like I just don't like don't assume that I'm a black guy with a lot of kids. I'm on wow. food stamps, and so she speaks for me now. But now I just ex- you know. A lot of people make assumptions about me personally anyway, or or like they don't think I'm educated, or... But how do you educate, like if someone really says that to you, instead of like talking them in the face, which you probably want to do, because you've been asked that all the time, how do you educate someone quickly as to that's the wrong assumption? Every, every black, every young black person 
is not on food stamps or isn't isn't chasing a woman around or I give them a quick you know okay. like that's that's not who I am. Um, I'm not against food stamps because if it's needed, it's needed. So that's not. Right. But I am not on those, and don't make an assumption about that's that good. based on that. Um, so I give them a quick like I've I've been rude at times, so I've had to learn to you know to mature and yeah. to educate, not to get emotional. Yeah. So now I educate like no, I'm not that. Um, because if they have an assumption about me, they already assume that I'm an angry black person or. You're, you're buying uh, aggressive, it, right? Like you're aggressive. You're validating one perception. Yeah, of aggressive. Yeah, so if you answer it based on how you feel, then you then you are answering another stereotype, which is an aggressive. So takes so much. So like you gotta keep all those like those stereotypes in mind, even as you go, even even as a pastor, I, I gotta keep those stereotypes in mind because I'm because I have a very direct personality. Like it's a very direct. Like I'm, hey, this is the issue. This is how I feel. We got to fix it. And then, like, I can be labeled as aggressive. But I'm not being aggressive, just being honest. So, that kind of went by fear. So, like, forgive me for going on. But, but the thing is, that what's so interesting is that if you spend more than five minutes with you, Destiny, you know that you're, you can tell that you're an overcomer. You've got an incredible story about who you are as a person, just how shines yourself, you know, from any stereotype that I would even come up with or that anyone would ever come what was this? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and even as leaders, like, we just have to learn. I mean, you know, we've learned to be gracious, you know, yeah. because the questions have come because mm-hmm. people have seen our life and they see something different. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I feel like I try to um, make humor out of it. Like, you know, if I'm asked, you know, a question, someone came to my door, I had a baby on my hip. I don't know what color that baby was, but <laughs> I answered the door and they said, um, you know, is the owner of the house here? And um, I said, I am the owner house. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were the babysitter. Um, it's, oh no, I'm not the babysitter. I pay the bills here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, she sometimes I'll try to, you know, make light of it um, because, you know, I don't want people to feel like they can never ask those yeah. questions. Right. It's hard make questions. Yes. Okay, so we're going to, this is part one. So uh, we, we covered a lot. We're going to come <laughs> back um, to part two. But in summary for part one, Nathan, you said something. Like you have an opportunity. Like I think what we want listeners to know is if you're in, if you're, if you are on the receiving end of what you feel like are offensive questions, reframe that. It's a chance for you to tell uh, and educate. It's a chance for you to help them have greater understanding, right? Um, and and as leaders, um, it's a chance for. Uh, it's exhausting. It's exhausting, but it's the mantle we carry for whatever calling. So that's part one. We're going to come back. Um, So tune in for part two of Around the Table talking about family dynamics and then how family dynamics, um, good or bad, end up showing up in the workplace and what we do about that. So thanks for tuning in to Around the Table. Uh, Next time, stay tuned. We'll we'll continue this conversation. If you have any topics you'd like to explore on Around the Table, you can email me at ckennedy at lynchfordregion.org or message me on LinkedIn or Facebook and tell me what kind of uncomfortable topics you want to put on the table for discussion. Welcome to Around the Table, Leadership Lynchburg's podcast and video series, talking about uncomfortable topics, talking about um, things that maybe make you squirm in your seat. And why are we doing this? Leadership Lynchburg believes that creating opportunities for healthy conversations builds awareness, trust, and ultimately relationship. 
Relationships can create productive action. Relationships enable you to go there on difficult topics, trusting that the benefit is greater awareness and mutual understanding. And ultimately, relationship creates community. And we, this is actually part two, so uh, if you haven't watched part one with Destin and Shawnee and Nathan, go back and watch part one, talking about family dynamics, biracial families, um, how to not be offended. We're going to piggyback off of that and continue on um, how those kind of behaviors, if you had kind of that rough past, or you were in the foster care system, or you had trauma, let's just say it, if you had trauma as a child and nobody taught you how to have healthy conflict or even healthy communication, how that shows up in the workplace, um, and then what's a leader's responsibility in that. So I'm going to start because we said it when the camera wasn't videoing or audioing, but Nathan, you said something, um, and we, we talked about this, like, we get tired, you all talk about this, you get tired of talking about answering the same question, even though I might have only asked the question for the first time, and I'm brave enough to ask it, um, you might have answered it a bunch of times, and you said, I get offended when... Yeah, I get offended when people who are particularly in leadership, um, I get offended when they say, I'm exhausted from answering this question. But yet, I look at it as an opportunity to kind of model what you desire and what you want to see moving forward. We shouldn't be exhausted because we're actually doing a greater cause by educating people that we're connected to in different areas, different scenarios. Yeah. And I think, like, I needed to be educated on a lot of things my entire life. And I probably asked the same question to the same person many times, i.e. my parents. I probably asked repetitive times. I mean, my kids do. But, and that's exhausting? Yes. But do you stop answering the question? Absolutely not. Because you want, you desire for them to grow and you desire to nurture yeah. them in a way. So it's all about that education piece. So we can't grow exhausted if we're leaders by answering the same questions multiple times. Yeah. All right, so Shauna, you uh, obviously are a black mm -hmm. female um, and you are in the workplace. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the burdens that you carry being a black woman in the workplace? And then what suggestions, what do you wish others knew or would do mm -hmm. to help you That's to be an advocate? Um, so um, I work at a church and um, there are a handful of minorities um, that work there as well um, and you know it just it's I just being a minority you're always aware that you're the minority um, and um, but at the same time I've grown up with it so I'm comfortable with it um, so I don't expect necessarily other people to change um, for me, um, in terms of, I mean, of course, yes, would I like to see more people who look like me um, in my workplace? Yeah, I would, but but I could maybe move to another city if I really, really desired that. And so, like, what I desire, like, for my family, it just supersedes my race. Like, um, it's my community, it's my friends, it's my church, um, it's the type of work that I do. Um, the, my faith, like I value my faith more than the color of my skin. Um, and what I want to do, and you know, even you know, Nathan and I, like our prayer for our family, is that like our kids see color, um, and they see everyone, and they can as equal, see, yeah, as equal, yeah, yeah, not superior or not lesser than or greater than, um, but they can relate to anyone. Like my. Um, white children will be able to relate to black people. Um, my biracial daughter will be able to relate to white and black. 
Um, and so, like, that's just a beautiful picture of wherever um, life takes them, they will be able to to fit in, adapt, yeah, to to where they are. And so, um, you know, for the people that like I work with in my workplace, I mean, like, I just want people to be like kind and loving and um, and professional and you know and treat one another as equal yeah. um, and not. I mean, you know, I don't expect any special treatment because I'm, you know, a minority or, um, but I want to be treated, you know, with respect and dignity, um, but also a sense of an awareness and appreciation for my culture, you know, as well. Yeah. So, um, and, and if Shani is not one of the minority and because she doesn't want to work in a place that is not consistent with all being minorities, who's going to be the first person to start creating change within the yeah. culture of the business, the organization of the church, you know? You know, the more you're talking, uh, this was not scripted, so I'm just going to ask this, because the more you're saying, the more you say the word minority, I think, is that even, is that, does that even offend? The word minority? Yes, because subliminally, you're um, not less than, you're not smaller. Right. I know it's a, based on a numerical, yeah, smaller yeah, it's a number. Yes, yeah. but the word itself, yeah. I don't know. Um, for me, it has been my whole life. Like I like that. Just the positions that I've been in, or I've always been the. the I have been. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't think of myself as less. I just think of this is just where I happen to be and what I've grown comfortable to be in. Um, and if I wanted something else, or if I thought like that I was treated differently or lesser than, then I would move, I would move jobs, or I would okay. move locations, yeah. um, and, and, but nobody calls it that, it's, a, it's just, a, it's an awareness, That's no right. one says that, you know, she's the minority there, like, it just is, it's a mindset it that is. I have. And it is a label on forms, it right, is. Like, like, let's yes. be honest, and I think some of that's starting to change, right? Yes. Um, what about you, um, Dustin, when I, when I say minority, does that offend you? Not really. No, it doesn't. Okay. No, I mean, not really. I mean, it's just, I look at it as just stats. You know, like stats, statistics that's a good there, way there's, yeah. more, there's more whites than it is. As of right now, I mean, right that may change. I mean, it looks like it should. Globalization you know, is proving. But, yeah. Um, but no, it doesn't offend me. Okay. I just look at it as a statistic. Yeah. Yeah. Statistic, yeah. More it so is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And then, but then also, I'm not the one to ask because, like, not anything offend me. Yeah. So, you know, I may offend some other people, but I'm not the type of person get offended by stuff like that. I don't let people label me. So it's just that's just my perspective on that. So let's let's park on offense for a minute. Um, we uh, Nathan, you and I were having a conversation one day, and which kind of led to I think this whole mm -hmm. idea of doing this, which was um, we need to help people. Um, not to offend, but also not to be offended. Yeah. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. My friend Trey Watkins, who's the leader for DE and I for Bank of the James, I fall in love with him. He's incredible. Yeah. And uh, Christine pair us up to do some boards, but his whole thing is I am I need to uh, not focus on not offending so much as I need to focus on not getting offended so much. So we've learned not to offend. Like we're doing pretty good at that. Pretty good at that. But I have an issue with being offended often. You know, people are stepping on my toes all the time. And this whole point is like, we're so busy saying the right cliche words and being politically correct. And you're not getting to the heart of the issue either. Never getting to the heart of the issue. But in the meantime, I'm getting offended because you're saying that we're a minority. For instance, you know. Yes. 
So I think I think that is like that has been uh, transformative. I I I actually preached a message on this, um, and this is not to overlook people's feelings and emotions, but I think we gotta teach people to be so secure in who they are that even mm-hmm. if someone steps out of line, it doesn't move you because no one has control over you without your except, consent. Yeah. Except so if someone offends you, you allow them to. Now, if someone walks up to you and like calls you outside of your name, like 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 a, yeah, like yeah. the B word for female or the N word for yeah. African American. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be struck by it, but I am saying that you shouldn't get to a place where you where you let that person get you to a place where you step outside of who you are. And I think we got to teach people not to be offended. Obviously, we teach people not to offend, but some people just generally do not know. Like, so it's this new thing where, like, some people, like, some some people get offended by calling them black, or some people get offended by calling them uh, African American. Like, some people get offended by that. But like with the LGBTQ, and I understand that that group has gone through a whole lot. Uh, so I'm not overlooking their feelings. Um, but I I didn't know um, that you like some people get offended when you call them gay or section I did not know that sure. and so we teach people not to be offended like you be secure in who you are be secure in in how God made you to be and be secure in who you are in him while well, I'm getting kind of getting churchy yeah. but you know what I'm saying yeah. Get, yeah, I'm a pastor for those who are listening yeah. but you know what I'm be secure in who you are and don't let somebody else put you to that place you know I would um, add I think that there's a, a humility to it all too that like the offender and the offended can carry. Like, we don't know everything. And everyone who has a position doesn't re- represent, like, all people groups. You know, all this group. All, all that group. group. Right. You know? And so there's a humility in saying, you know, I may have said something that offended you, or you may have said something that offended me, but, you know, like, maybe you didn't know. Like, you didn't know how to ask, because nobody ever told you how to ask. Or, um, you weren't exposed to that. So I think that there's a... And if you were, yeah, and if you were to say that to me, like, if you were, maybe you didn't know, but this right. is what you said and how many you feel, yeah. right? Then I have an obligation not to be offended that you confronted me. Right. Yeah. Which then creates, and sometimes in the workplace, yeah. oh, I can't talk to her, she's going to be mad at me because yeah. I... And that's the wrong attitude. That's that's the wrong attitude. Yeah. And, and something else, Nathan brought this point that I think is very important for us to understand. He said... So look at the heart of the person. I think if we come from a place that most people are good, kind people, then you can get to a place where they're not trying to offend you. I think now in in today's society, I think we jump to a conclusion that most people are bad, like like they're looking to offend, as opposed to looking at people who say most people are 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 just good people, like they just don't know. Like I trust Nathan's heart. And if Nathan says something that offends me, I trust that he's really not trying to do it, and he just doesn't understand my feelings and my emotions. Because how could he? Because he's not in my brain. He he hasn't experienced what I've experienced, so he doesn't understand. So for me to get offended without having that conversation with him, like that's doing him a disservice as well. Well, I think the 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 mature part and the hardest part is being willing to have the conversation when you are offended, (laughs) and that's where the the trust and the relationships come into place, and that's why we're doing this. We're wanting to make it more comfortable to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Now, Nathan, you're really good at this. I mean, your background, you, you have a heart for this. Um, and you also work, we didn't talk about this, but you work um, 
on transitioning people with disabilities in the workplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Into, so. into work. Um, so let's talk about, okay, you're in the workplace and you have someone who maybe isn't communicating appropriately or, um, you know, just offends you. Like, I just don't like that person, right? Uh, how do you start going there with those uncomfortable conversations? Yeah, I love what I do every day for the Department of Aging and Rehabilitative Services as a rehab counselor, and we work with individuals with disabilities or who have substance use disorder, uh, helping them get to work or get back to work. And so, yeah, obviously an individual who may have autism is going to have a different social skills ability and who could potentially, because of their directness or because of the way that they look at you or don't look at you, yeah. they may offend you because they're not yes sir in my eyes right yep. and so we have to teach about the abilities that everybody's social skills are totally different some could be here and some could be here and some could be here like so how am i going to best communicate with that person what does it take first as an employer i have to get to know the employee yeah. and so we're like after you spend time with this employee it's going to be a gradual in-depth relationship i mean that happens with our children it takes time to learn our children and what is the best way to communicate with them. Because all six of our kids are totally different. The way I communicate with one is not how I'm going to communicate with the other. But it takes time. I'm still learning all, all of them. And by the way, they transition over time, right? So you communicate one day with like this and the next day like this to the same one. And that's the same, true, same way with our employees. It's getting to know them on a daily basis. And I think... I think having the heart of looking to serve as opposed to be served. So when we talk about like the you know, say disabled person, it's like, well, why aren't you speaking to me as opposed to let me go and speak to you and then see how I can serve you. I think it's, 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 it's a different approach because most people are like, what are you doing for me? As opposed to flipping and saying like, what can I do for you to help this conversation get better? Or what can I do for you? And like, like that's been something I've learned as far as, as a leader as opposed to, well, you need to speak to me this certain way. It's like, no, 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 no. How do I need to speak to you? Yeah, that's your, that hierarchy of leadership. Yeah, that you the serve, right? yeah. Like the, you're the, yeah, yeah, the hierarchy is like, you serve me, and you serve the hierarchy. Yeah. It's like, serve them. Like, how can I serve you? And that's helped me better lead a very different, very diverse mm -hmm. culture at the church is, like, how can I serve you? How can I, you know what I'm saying, wash your feet, so to speak, and also get to know even that prevents that offense to occur. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm looking to serve you as opposed to, yeah. well, you didn't talk to me or you didn't, you know what I'm saying, respond to me in that way that I like. It's like, you know, you know what I'm saying, let me serve you. Yeah. Johnny, isn't it like a recognition of everybody has a story? I mean, like every foster kid like has a totally different story, right? And so it's like I'm trying to understand the story. It's not going to be my story. The way I parent my children is not mm -hmm. going to parent a foster child, right? Because their story is totally different. Yeah. So let's talk about that in the workplace. So, so kids that are in foster, so many homes are broken so, yeah. today. Yeah. And, and at some point, they're, they're going to end up in your workplace. How do you onboard? How do you meet people where they are? Because I hear this from managers all the time. I hear, I'm not your parents. Right. You, yeah. you come to work. You need to be an adult. You need to show up with skills. But let's face it, they're not having it. And we have a workforce shortage that's huge right now. So while we may not want to parent, we have an opportunity if we want healthy, emotionally great workers to, to teach and speak into that, to try to try to help. How do we do that? How do we, how do we um, if those social and behavioral skills 
they, they were never taught that, um, but they have an opportunity to work for us. How do we begin to do that? I, I would love for Shine to answer that because you have a team of how many on your staff? How many staff do you have? I have about 26. And how many volunteers are on your team? Uh, about like 150. Okay, yes. Answer that. Yeah. Because they're all coming from different. Right. Sure. Right. How do you be, if I'm a manager and I'm, let's say I'm, um, you know, maybe short fuse or yeah. not patient. Yeah. But I need to be a more emotionally intelligent leader and meet people where they are. How do I do that? Yeah. You know, I, it is really building those relationships with people where um, you understand their story. Like there has to be some empathy. Like as a leader, like you have, you to, have to get to know them first. You do. So if you don't know their story. Right. Yes. So you do. And then you can, um, you can walk with them and you can give them a little bit more grace, you know, or there's just like a little bit more understanding and knowing that you know they come from a rough background or they're really struggling or things were never you know right for them or nothing ever went well for them like um, once you understand that then you can work with them and then you can you know guide them and direct them and lead them but you can't lead well if you don't know your people um and and no one's gonna want to you know work under you um, if they don't feel like heard or appreciated or feel like they are known, like people want to be seen, they want to be known, they want to be known um, because everybody has a story. Everybody walks into work with baggage, some type of baggage. Sometimes it's a light load, sometimes it's a backpack, sometimes it's a suitcase, and you have to be aware that when people are walking into the workplace, like they are walking in with some type of luggage, and as a leader, you have to show that you care about the luggage that they're carrying. You may not have time to unpack all of your luggage, like you have work to do. Um, but there is just a sense of awareness and caring and, you know, and showing um, that they are seen and that they are known um, so that they can be more productive. I mean, my people are productive because I care about them, um, because I care about what happens outside of the workplace um, as well as what's inside. Yeah, it doesn't mean you don't expect them to get work done. Right. Or, you know, this was my trauma, this is my story, so... Yes. Give me a pass. Yes. It's no. not that. That's no. not what you're saying. No, there's still it's, an expectation. Right. To work. Yeah, I think it's important that, sorry, as a leader that you need to um, make your goal pretty clear and then be okay with the way that the team gets to that goal. I mean, sure, you're still demanding the productivity be there, yeah. but based on someone's story, they may get to the goal very differently than maybe what your story would allow for you to get to the goal. I don't know. And it's how you, and that gets into, well, that's a whole other podcast on team how you let the team yeah. work through their own, yes. right? Because yeah. it's not just you understanding yeah. the story. The yeah. team has to. Oh, it is. It's emotional and social. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You want to say something? Yeah, which is why it's important to have those difficult conversations and be willing to have right conflicts and then be willing to have conflict amongst your team. I think a lot of issues and people get hurt who have had bad experiences because those hard you know, say honest conversations don't occur. Um, I think those things create a place of trust and authenticity when you're able to have those tough conversations, when you're able to say, hey, I'm feeling today like you didn't respect me because you said it this way, and it reminded me of the way my dad was treated. I had but one you person. To go there. Yeah, and so, so, so far as I had one member of my staff, like this person's dad was like very like domineering, like always brought conflict, always was like direct and hurtful. So when I was direct, she said it reminded her of my dad. So those difficult conversations I had to have with, with each other, like, hey, 
um, like that's like where you come across and remind me of my conversation. I had to affirm her and say, my personality style is that I am direct yeah. and it's not intended to shut you down, but it's intended to make sure you understand my expectations as a leader. So we had a very uh, thorough conversation about that. So we had to have those conversations and be open to have yeah. Yeah. And vulnerability creates anxiety. Mm. So that we can be less anxious the more confident we are as an individual. Then we will be able to be more vulnerable. Mm. You see, it's a cycle. So yeah, I need to refer to that. Yeah, so leader starts that yeah, being vulnerable yeah. themselves. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Modeling the vulnerability and affirming the and affirming, and, and, and affirming their feelings. Even though like, I learned because uh, I struggle with I, I, I struggle with empathy a lot, and I've learned that, that that even though you don't feel it, like you have to validate their feelings. It's right. real to Value them. The voice, right? Value it's real the voice. to them. Yeah. So. Well, well, on that note, um, gosh, this time goes by so quick. I know. But as leaders, I think the takeaway from this segment is um, get to know your people. And in today's society where technology is king, it's even harder. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, lead with vulnerability. You start that. You model the way. Um, get to know your people. Make it healthy and safe to have those hard conversations in the workplace. And if you're not comfortable doing that yourself, then work on that yourself, right? Um, get some help on that. So with that, I want to thank you guys for uh, being here today. To be continued, I know we're going to do another one because it's just too good not to. Um, so thanks for tuning in to Around the Table, important conversations on real issues for real leaders in the workplace today. Uh, Shawnee and Nathan, thank you. I wish you the best with those kiddos to every foster child that has an opportunity to be in your home, um, even if a month, right? Yeah. I hope yeah. they remember what a, just the love they get in your home. And Dustin, keep doing what you're doing. Yes. Keep, keep building a multicultural church. Yes. And uh, we'll see you next time on Around the Table. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And if you have a topic that you want discussed on Around the Table, you can email me at ckennedy at lynchburgregion.org or reach out to me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Tell us what you want to talk about. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of All for Business podcast, hosted by the Lynchburg Regional Business Alliance. The Alliance is a chamber of commerce and economic development organization serving the Lynchburg region and over 750 member organizations. To learn more about what we do in our other programs, please visit lynchburgregion.org. See you next time.